You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Obviously, we've had a kind of a crazy week. Am I right? Everybody had a crazy week, no matter what side of the coin you're on. And uh, and the one thing I would say, and then we're going to get into this new series, is is Jesus is on the throne, yes, but we still have to fight. Um, The Bible says that we pray... uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's our responsibility to stand in the gap. If you want to know what we as Awakened Church are believing about that, I would encourage you to go watch Pastor Jurgen and Leanne, who are our lead pastors, uh, their Instagram. They put out a video, both of them yesterday, individually. It's just a few minutes, but you can really see on what they're feeling, what they're leaning in terms of the prophetic, what they're believing. Uh, and so I would check that out if I were you. But we are in a new series today. We've been in We the People, but now we're in November. It's coming around Thanksgiving time. There's snow on the mountain. Like, how cool is that? Um, except it was very windy this morning, which I am not accustomed to. Uh, I, I, went up, I went upstairs on our rooftop to pray in this morning, and, uh, and I had to come inside after like eight minutes because I was just so cold. Uh, yeah, I know you guys think it's funny, but it's really cold out there. Relatively, that's like 70 degrees in San Diego right now. So, um, But hey, we are in this theme called, uh, it's called Gratitude. And then there's kind of this sub thing to it, uh, which I think they're going to put up the entitlement cure, the entitlement cure. How many know that there's some entitlement up around the world right now? And not all, you know, I know a lot of baby boomers probably like, yeah, that, you know, all these kids are so entitled. It's like, well, yeah, um, but who raised them? You know, so. uh, Oh, whoa. okay, okay. Take it easy, people. I'm a millennial, so I can say from my position uh, that, uh, you know, my mom, and I'm sure, like, I'm not talking about you parents. I'm talking about the parents outside of here. Obviously, you guys have raised your kids brilliantly. They're here in the house of God on a Sunday. You're here. We're talking about other people today. Uh, so this is to help you with your neighbors, with your friends, all that kind of stuff. But uh, if we define gratitude, the word gratitude, uh, literally in, in the dictionary, this is like, you know, Merriam-Webster, says, state of being thankful. And then I like to look at the antonym sometimes, just to know kind of what we're looking at, the opposite. Uh, it says the failure or refusal to acknowledge receipt of something good from another. Another way to look at that from kind of a Christian perspective is failure or refusal to acknowledge receipt of something good from God. And I think we've never seen that more in our country right now. I don't think we've ever seen that more in the world right now is this sense of self-made, right? Right? self-made. I'm self-made million. I'm a self-made. I'm a self-made. I'm a self. Okay. Well, you didn't make yourself first of all. Um, and I never see anybody that's self-made that like is sucking at life. So it's like, which one is it? Is it only self-made when you're successful? No, everything good and perfect comes from God. And when we acknowledge him as our creator, when we acknowledge him as the one who gave us the gift, you have a much less likely chance of losing it because a people that forgets who blessed them will soon lose the blessing. And that applies in our personal life. That applies to our marriages. That applies to our families. It applies to our finances. It applies to our cities. It applies to our nation. Uh, it applies to a lot of different things. And so uh, today, really, to, before we jump into kind of the meat of it, um, to give us a picture of this kind of entitlement, but where gratitude can kind of help us uh, and where it can hurt us if we don't kind of 
really live it out, is you see this story in uh, Luke, the chapter of Luke, about the rich young ruler. How many know that story? Most of us probably have heard that story. Um, But basically the background is Jesus is mobbing around with his disciples and they're making moves, they're talking to people, they're doing things, and he's got his crew. And then all these people start wanting to join his crew because they see they're doing stuff, they're making like, they're like the cool, they're like, they're doing stuff. There's miracles, there's signs, there's wonders everywhere they go. And so this rich young ruler comes up and he asks Jesus, hey, what, um, what do I got to do to be kind of part of this gang? And so we can see it here. If we can go to uh, Luke chapter 18, 18. Now a certain ruler asked him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Next verse. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good Uh, but one, that is God. Automatically, you know that the rich young ruler has a wrong perception of who God is because he's trying to call him a good teacher. But if only God is good, then no teacher can be good. So next verse, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't honor your mother and father. Next verse. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. I've been perfect. Sure. Next verse. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. See, you can have a lot, but still lack. You can have a lot, but still lack. The kingdom is different than the kingdom of this world. And it says, uh, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And, uh, and it said he couldn't do it because he had much wealth. So just because he had the wrong perception of God, he thought, well, I created this. I'm self-made. I, I'm the one that made all of this happen. So if I leave this, I'll leave it forever and I'll lose out. But in reality, what he was losing out was on his purpose, on his mission, on his assignment, and on his fulfillment in life, all because of how he viewed Jesus. You see, there's two mindsets that we can have in life, and this is where we're gonna land. There's two mindsets. There's the mindset of a slave, and we're talking spiritual right now, right? Spiritual slave or spiritual son. And when I say son today, I mean son or daughter, just so that we're all clear up front. The rich young ruler viewed God with a slave mindset. He thought that if he trusted God, he would lose. The disciples, on the other hand, trusted God with everything because they knew that they would win. They came from a son mindset. So there's a slave mindset and there's a son mindset. And my question to us today is, what if I told you that the one different, the one, the one differentiator between those of us that step into the promises of God for our life or whether we don't is all based upon how we view God. Those with a slave mindset want promises without relationship. And those with a son's mindset understand that relationship is key to not only obtaining, but keeping the promises that God wants to give to us. So the title that we have today is We Want Your Presence. We Want Your Presence. And I think it's crossed out presence like the other kind of presence, like the kind I used to get growing up, Catholic and Jewish. I got Hanukkah presents, eight presents in a row, and then I would get Christmas presents. And it was the best of both worlds. Besides the fact that I grew up very confused um, from a whole lot of other perspectives, the presents were good. So not those presents, we're talking about the presence of God, the presence of God. So the story we're going to look into today, it's going to really illustrate this, is how the Israelites were delivered from Egypt into the promised land, from slavery into sonship, more or less. So we're going to start. And really most of us, I think, know this story because you grow up and you hear about it. It's like one of those that, like, it's hard to miss. Like, I even knew it, and I grew up Jewish and Catholic, bouncing between the two places. And, uh, and so where we pick up, in case you don't know it, and that's okay, is there's 400 years of slavery. The Israelites have been in 400 years of bondage, 400 years of misery, 400 years of 18-hour workdays, seven days a week, 
making brick out of stray, uh, claw, claw, clay and straw. Those two combined make claw. And uh, it's okay to laugh in church, people. It's okay to have fun. Rule number 10. And, uh, and so 400 years. And their only promise, their only hope is some prophetic words that were spoken a long time ago about them being delivered into a promised land. But other than that, there's no hope. But God hears their prayers. How many are thankful that God hears our prayers as a nation? God hears our, pro- our prayers as, as husbands, as wives, as sons and daughters. God hears our prayers. And he answers them. And he sent a man named Moses. Most of us know Moses. Uh, he was out in the wilderness for 40 years after fleeing Egypt uh, from basically trying to do what he was being sent to do by God before the time was ready, because there's a time and a season for all things. And so we tried to do it early. God said, no, shut the door, sent him out to the wilderness. He fled there. And then when he came back, it was like he had the power of God with him. He had this staff and he could do miracles. And so basically God had to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt through 10 plagues, 10 crazy plagues that only afflicted the Egyptians. It was like, let my people go. No, plague. Let my people, no plague. And it was like 10 times. Finally, Pharaoh says, I've had enough. I'm gonna let you go. And lets them go. They start fleeing. They get to the Red Sea. Okay, you're in the middle of the ocean. Like nothing, like that's it. You're done. No, God says, I'm gonna part a Red Sea. Does the miraculous. He literally makes a highway of the Red Sea. Israelites go through it. That's crazy. And then he collapses it upon the Egyptians. The mightiest superpower of military that had ever existed up until that point, destroyed in one moment by the supernatural power of God. So they get to the other side and it's like, oh my gosh, we did, oh my God, how crazy is that? And now they have just an 11 day journey, just a simple, quick 11 day journey, just a quick jog and they'll be at the promised land and that's it. And then everyone gets to be happy, right? Slave the son, matter of 11 days, not too bad. Problem was it only took, it took 40 years. So why did it take 40 years? Because they couldn't get from the slave mindset, which they were brought up in, to the son mindset. It took 40 years. And the number 40 in the Bible means test. So I believe through the scripture, we'll find three tests that God asks us to overcome before that we can actually step into from slave into son mindset. And so we're going to address those today. So the first test is how we handle lack and need, how we handle lack and need. See, slaves are entitled, sons are thankful. The first sign you've moved from a slave mindset to a son or a daughter mindset is that you've moved from thinking that God owes you something to being thankful for all that God has given you. So we're going to look at Numbers 11, verse 1 to 4. And where we pick up is we've just crossed, they've just gotten out of the Red Sea. They're starting to learn all the stuff they got to figure out in this new promised land. They've got to, you know, learn Passover, all this stuff they got to figure out. And so they've gotten all this instruction and then they start to get hungry. Fair enough, right? 11 days, you got to eat. And so uh, God says, okay, I'm going to drop manna from heaven. I'm literally, there's no food around you in the middle of the day. I'm going to drop manna from heaven. It was nutritious enough to basically handle every uh, need that they had. It, it would have worked. Um, but they got a little bit complacent with that. They got a little tired of that. They started complaining about the food, the miraculous food that they had. And they were only going to be eating it for 11 days, but they started complaining because slaves are entitled and sons are thankful. And so we pick up in verse one, it says, now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. That's a bad day. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. Good pastor. So he called the name of the place Tabera because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving, so the children of Israel wept again. Your friends get burned and you weep again, saying, who will give us meat to eat? 
Who will give us meat to eat? It's funny how selective our memories can be because they wanted to, after that, it goes on to say that they actually wanted to go back to Egypt because at least they had meat there. So you were slaves for 400 years. You forget the 18-hour days, but you want meat. And it's funny how nostalgia will have you fantasizing about a past that you used to pray to forget. Slaves' mindset fantasizes about, fantasizes about the past, but sons dream of the future. That relationship that you've been longing to forget, but it just, you know, it's, 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 it's easy to think about all the good times, but you forget the abuse. The longing that you had, you wish, oh, I just, oh, I wish I didn't have my family anymore. I could do all these things. I could but what about all those prayers you used to pray to have a family? Longing for that time when you had less responsibility in life, forgetting how empty and purposeless you felt. It's crazy how nostalgia can trick our minds and how we can forget the good things of the past and not be thankful for what's ahead. And that's what Jesus shows us the antidote for how to do this. And we see that in the feeding of the 5,000. Most of us remember the story because it's actually in four gospels. And what he does is he says, okay, same lack, same need. The Israelites had lack and need. They complained, they got meat, but they had to, some of their homies got burned up and it cost them 40 years. Jesus said, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to teach y'all how to do this right. He says, we only have two loaves and five fish, or five loaves and two fish, however you, however you want to paint it. And uh, either way, it's not a lot of stuff. And so he takes it, and there's, there's much need. There's, there's just as much need as there was before. And he takes it, and he gives thanks, and he breaks it, and then it multiplies. So the key to multiplication is not in complaining, is not at looking what you have and saying it's never enough. It's not at looking at your bank account and saying it's never enough. It's not looking at your family and saying it's never enough. It's looking at what you have and thanking God for it and lifting it up to him and giving it to him and saying, I thank you for this, and then it multiplies. The same word for thanksgiving, the same word for grateful is todah in the Hebrew. Todah, and it actually means hand. So before we ask and receive with our hand, we must give with our hand. We must give thanks. And that's what Jesus has, teaches us how to do it. So once we shift our hearts and our minds to be grateful for what we do have instead of what's missing, we must overcome the second test of sonship, which is how we handle risk, adversity, and uncertainty. And so we're going to move to the next one. So slaves trust only what they can see. Sons trust their father even when they can't see him. So the second sign that you've moved from a slave mindset to a son or daughter mindset is that you trust and your trust and security comes from God alone, no matter what your circumstances look like. And I think a lot of us can take a page out of this book for this week, is that we can trust God no matter what our circumstances look like. So we're going to jump into Numbers 14, verse 1 to 10. And, uh, and so this is a little bit later on. This is right before God says, all right, you're done. It's going to cost you 40 years. This is right before. This is the thing that, you know, as a parent, it's just like, it's just one thing, just one thing. And then it's, that's it. You're grounded or whatever it is. You know, I remember my mom, it was, it was always one thing, just one thing. But it's never one thing, right? It's a bunch of things that lead up to that one thing and that one thing just, yeah, okay. No parents in the room. Don't want to amen me. It's okay. It's all good. I'll amen myself today. Uh, but we pick up and it's where Moses sends 10 spies or 12 spies. He sends, he sends 12 spies to go spy out the land, the promised land, to see what's going on. They come back. They say, oh my gosh, it's crazy. There's grapes the size of like, that speaker, there's, uh, there's, all, there's milk and there's honey, which to me, I mean, you know, go get that from the store. Like there's plenty of milk and honey. Every, so there's milk and honey, but 
there's, there's just some giants, you know, there's some giants, there's some other stuff. We just got to figure out a couple of the things, but it's, it's awesome. Like it's a great land, but we're very intimidated by the giants. So 10 of them come back, give a bad report. They focus on the negative. They focus on their circumstance. They focus on what they can control, what they can see in their minds. And they said, we are grasshoppers in their sight. So they still see themselves as slaves. The other two, Caleb and Joshua come back, two of the 10, two of the 12, excuse me, say, you know what? It's a great land. It's all that, but we can take them. We can take them out. And so we come into this point right when, right when uh, the 10 spies have just addressed the congregation and said basically what they found. So we see it in verse one. It says, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. Sound familiar? And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or only if we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Watch your language when you start asking God to take you back to a place that he never meant to. He took you out of it for a reason. They say, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. A leader doesn't take you backward. A leader takes you forward. So what they're asking for is not, is not a leader. I'll tell you that much. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces, like any pastor would, before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh, who were among them, among the spies that spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us the land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. And that was basically when God was like, all right, that's, that's what it's gonna cost you. If you're gonna stone the very people that see the good in the world, if you're gonna stone the very people that I've appointed to take you into something, it's going to cost you. And so what we find is, is, is very powerful because the Israelites, they just got delivered from the mightiest army in the whole world, the superpower. They were in Egypt. They were slaves for this long. And God did 10 plague, 10 miracles, plus parted a whole sea for them. And yet they're scared of a few giants. It's funny how fast we forget all the times God brought us through. If God did it once, He'll do it again. They had insecurity because they misplaced their security. Insecurity is simply misplaced security. When you start succeeding, when you see God doing some things in your life, and then you, your bank account starts going up, your relationships start going up, your friends, start, everything starts looking good. Where does your security lie? If your security starts lying in what's in your bank versus the God who gave you what's in your bank, I promise you there will be a test as to whether that thing, and that's what I found giving does. Giving constantly challenges me what do I put my trust in? Do I put my trust in God or do I put my trust in my bank account? Do I put my trust in the one who delivered me or do I put my trust in what I can see? Sons trust their father even when they can't see. It's just as difficult to trust God when you have a lot versus when you have a little. And I remember when, uh, it reminds me of when I, when I was a couple years saved and I was interning in the church, internship, you should do it. I highly recommend it. Uh, my wife and I met there, so maybe you'll meet your spouse, who knows? And, uh, and I was interning, I, was, I, was, I had finished my first year of internship, and I was stepping into my second year of internship. My wife and I were meeting, leading a college ministry back in San Diego, and we were getting to, you know, 
run services and basically do everything I wanted to do in terms of ministry. And then I was part of a, a tech company, a startup. I had equity in that company. I was working 20 hours a week remotely for the most part. So I was loving my life. I had no desire to change anything. My security had started to be placed in my job, in my life, in my current circumstance, the very circumstance that I had been praying to get from God months earlier. And so I, I found that I was, I, was, I was really excited about this. And then all of a sudden, just as God does, he brings an opportunity. But it doesn't look like an opportunity. It looks like, wow, this looks like a serious change, a serious lifestyle change. And so Pastor Jurgen and the team had asked me to come on and be on staff. And it was a dream of mine since I first got saved. But now that I had started to get some security in my finances, now that I had had this, this uh I had this, you know, this equity in this company. Now that I was, my, my schedule was kind of perfect, I got very comfortable. And as soon as they asked me, I said, no, thank you. And I could never have imagined myself two years before that saying that, but I did because I got comfortable and my security was here. And I felt God challenged me and say, who gave you what you have now? And who's to say that what you have now won't spoil if you don't move on into the next season I have for you? And I found that often God will move us because he knows that this thing is expiring. What looks good here in this season is actually just a temporary thing, and God is moving us to the next one. And so I had to trust him. I left my 1% of equity behind, which was pretty significant in this company, and, uh, and I had to leave it to come on to staff. But God is faithful because what I found was that that company never sold. But when I left, they said, well, we'll let you keep 10% of your revenue that you've gotten through all of your clients in the past. And we'll let you keep it for however long they stay on. They thought maybe a few months. That revenue lasted for three years and equaled that 1% that would have been paid out, still hasn't been paid out to any other employee and God provided. Because when God asks you to move, when God asks you to change, when God asks you to step out, when you can't see it, God's already made provision for it. So once we learn to trust God, even when we don't see what's on the other side of our obedience, we must overcome the third test of sonship, which is how we handle discouragement and delay. You see, slaves praise once they've received the promise. Afterwards, after I see it, after it's in my bank account, after my family's been restored, after my prayers have been answered. Sons praise before they've received the promise. The third sign you've moved from a slave mindset to a son or daughter mindset is that you have praised God before you receive your promises rather than after. When Moses was passing on before they entered the promised land 40 years later, because God said, Moses, you can't go with them. Uh, they have to go alone. He didn't leave them with the staff. You would think of all things that Moses would leave them with. It would be the staff. It would be the staff that caused all the plagues. It would be the staff that parted the Red Sea. It would be the staff that did all the miracles, but it wasn't a staff. Moses left them with a song. Moses left them with a song. And Pastor Jurgen was preaching about this a couple weeks ago and it was the first time that it actually clicked with me. Why didn't he leave them with the staff? It was because he knew that for a generation to step into something new, they had to get a new song inside of them. They had to start singing a new song, a song of thanksgiving, a song of praise, a song of thankfulness. And we see that God does this in order. He gives them that song and then they step into Jericho. And if we can go put up Joshua 6, verse 1 to 5, we see why. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. They didn't see it. You have to see it before you see it or you'll never see it. They saw when they didn't see. They moved from slave to son. They said, they, when God said saw, see, they saw. 
See, I have given Jericho in your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city and all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. You shall do this for six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass and when they make a long blast from the ram's horn and when they hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout. All the people shall praise me. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every man straight before him. They praised before the breakthrough. They praised before the promise. God was teaching them that if you would learn this thing, if you would learn that praise precedes promise, I can shift everything in your life. This was the final test that they had to test. Where do we need to shift from complaining to praising? When you say, God, I'll praise you once I get that promotion. God, I'll praise you once that house comes through. God, I'll praise you once that debt is eliminated. I'll praise you once my son comes back. I'll praise you once. No, God said, praise me now, because if you will praise me now, I'm gonna take the walls down, and I'm gonna show that if it couldn't be done by anybody else, it had to be done by me. Because if you praise once it's done, you could have been part of it. God wants to show that only he could have done it. Only he could have done it. Only he could have done it. And it wasn't by their might or strategy or earthly wisdom that they took Jericho, the first city of the promised land. It was through thankfulness. It was actually through something they had access to 40 years earlier. God doesn't want you to take 40 years to figure this out. You don't have to go through all these things. You can figure it out right now. So where is the place right now? Where is the area right now where you would say, wow, I've, I need to pass this test now because I don't wanna wait 40 years. I don't wanna wait 10 years. I don't wanna wait. I can praise him right now. All it takes is faith. Because God calls us to thank him in advance for believing because it declares our trust in him and his character. The sooner in our journey that we figure this out, the sooner we step into the promises of God. It's that simple. And, uh, and I remember even, even just basic gratitude. I remember uh, when I first got saved and I was a few months in, I was about to step into this new job, the, the tech company, and I was transitioning and I just run out of my $100,000 inheritance that I spoiled like the prodigal son and, and was ashamed of because I didn't tell anybody. And, uh, and I was in a really, I was in a really dark place. I was completely out of money. I was in between jobs. So I got paid in a week and I had a week, a whole week where I had $0 in my bank account. My credit cards were completely maxed out and I had zero gas in my car and I needed to get to and from places for work. I needed to get to and from places for church. And I remember just sitting in my room and I literally thought, wow, I, I, am at, I am at ground zero. I'm actually below ground zero, if you count that. But I am at ground zero with where I'm at in my life. And I remember in that moment, I just, I looked up and I, there was a roof. And I looked below me and there was a bed that I was laying on. And I remember in that moment, I said, God, if this is all I ever have, if I just have you and your presence, and I started getting grateful for, the, for the, just the basic things. I started getting grateful for what I had because I knew the key to me getting past and getting more of what I wanted was being grateful for what I already had. And I remember in that moment, I felt the presence of God like I never had before. And it was in that moment that I understood the verse, the, the, the Psalm 100 verse four. And it was enter my gates with thanksgiving, my courts with praise. I felt dull a couple years ago and I remembered this moment in my life and I remembered my, my, and I was in ministry, I was leading and I felt just dull. I felt, I felt like I was tired and I was burned out and I didn't know what to do. And God said, remember what you told me when you first got, remember, remember gratitude, remember being grateful. So I was missing his presence. So you can pray and you can miss his presence. 
The first thing I do now since that day two years ago is I, I begin to just thank God. I thank God for my feet. I thank God for my life. I thank God for my wife. I thank God for everything that I do have. And then I begin to praise him for what I don't see yet. Because I found that if I can be grateful for what I have now and begin to praise him for what I don't have, there's a gap that fills that the presence of God can do that nothing else can do in our life. It's through gratitude. The presence of God sustains us, it comforts us, it unlocks us, it heals us. You can have all the presence, the promises of God if you use his principles, but you'll miss his presence if you don't seek him first. Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. If you seek presence first, you'll have presence added to you. Let's be people who seek his presence. Let's be people who seek his presence. Well, I wanna, I wanna close right now. I wanna pray for a few people. So if everyone could just bow your heads and close your eyes. Uh, maybe you're here today and you're like me and you grew up and you didn't know God. You still don't know God. You don't have a relationship with him. If, you were to, if I were to ask you the question, are you in relationship with God? Right now, you would say, no, I'm not. And I don't know how to do that. Well, friend, Jesus Christ, God's son, was sent to earth on a mission to save you. Recognizing that we were broken, recognizing that we were flawed, recognizing that we are in humanity are not enough in ourselves to get to heaven, to restore ourselves. God sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross, to raise again three days later is still risen to this day, is seated at the right hand of the Father and is interceding, is praying for you to come back in a relationship with him. Jesus is the key to life. The Bible says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And today, friend, you need to make a choice whether you'll accept that relationship that he's extending to you or whether you'll reject it today. And friend, I wanna invite you, just like I did five and a half years ago, and it changed my life forever, so if you would accept that invitation today, everything will shift, everything will change. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.